0: So, um, this month um, is actually National Foster Care Month. So, there's several families, ha, there's several families in Cornerstone that has fostered. And in September, I'm going to share my story, I'll make it fast, and then I've got a couple of videos I want to share too. But in September, I started full-time at the school because, even though I'm the children's ministry director here, I'm part-time, and I thought, okay, I want to do more in the school system. So, I started in September, but um, that's kind of when I realized the need for fostering. So, I Chris was, he's just like, whatever you think, and I'm like, don't tell me that, because, you know, so, you know, yeah. So in September we decided, okay, we're gonna reach out to DSS and we're gonna we're gonna sign up for this. And um, so we did all the things that you were required to do, um, which is a lot. And then in November we um, signed up to start our training, and it's a six-week training. Even though sometimes you don't have to go through all the training to be able to get a placement. So, anyway, in November, um, a day before we were starting our training, I got a call. And um, we had, me and Chris had already said, like, we had an age that we wanted to do. And um, God had other plans. So, we said yes um, to a 14-year-old. And then, um, in December, we said yes to... um, a 12-year-old. And then in between that, we got another one, but that one was um, moved away. And then recently, we said yes to a 17-year-old. So, Chris was nowhere there when I said yes to all that. They, you know, um, Lachey, um from DSS, which you'll be seeing a video soon, um, she was like, don't you want to talk to your husband? And I was like, no, it's fine. <laughs> because we had already agreed that this was what God wanted us to do. So Chris and I have a almost 6-year-old and an almost 13-year-old biological, and then we have three foster daughters as well. So um, I wanted to just make the church aware of the need um, of fostering. So I have a couple videos. The first video will be um, her name's Lachey. She's gonna share a little bit about her story because just a reminder that the story is completely different for all the foster families. So we're gonna watch uh, the first video first of Lachey.
1: Good morning, my name is Lachey Hall. This morning, I'm gonna share with you my story about becoming a parent. So my husband and I have been married for going on 13 years. From the beginning we wanted to start a family, but starting a family for us was just not in God's plan, not the way that we thought. Um, So we decided to think about foster care. And um, my principal at the time had kind of come to me and said, there's a situation, would you guys be interested in fostering? And immediately I said yes. And my, she was like, would you wanna talk to your husband about this? And I said, no, absolutely not. We've already agreed this is what we want to do. Um, so needless to say, at three days old, we went to the hospital and we met our first foster son. later um we got a phone call actually we had about 50 people at our house because they were there to meet our foster son but we got another phone call from dss asking us if we would consider fostering another child and once again i immediately said yes my husband wasn't there but i said yes so they ended up bringing him and we met him and kept him for a weekend and we fell in love with him now it has been two years and as of last, April the 13th, they are not now our children. We have adopted them. And that's my story. <laughs> I have taught at Gaylax Middle School for 12 and a half years, and recently I have decided to take a job at Gaylax Department of Social Services. So I'm the resource program coordinator for Gaylax City in Grayson County. This month is National Foster Care Awareness Month, so this is very dear to my heart. Gaylax City has a total of 13 foster homes along with grayson county only having six foster homes together we share 13 foster homes so that's a total of 32 foster homes and we city has 49 children in foster care at, at the moment and that number is growing every day grayson county has 23 so that's 72 foster kids that we have right now all of our foster homes are filling up at the moment i may have two or three homes that have no foster children Um, But what happens to these children if we don't have a home? They have to go to TFC homes, which are therapeutic foster homes. Or they might have to go to uh, group homes. And when this happens, our children are having to leave the community, leave the school, leave their friends. So we would love to have more families out there reach out to us to become foster families. Here's an inspiring story from one of our former foster children.
2: My name is Sarah, I'm 19 years old, and I'm a freshman in college right now. When I was eight years old, my parents got taken to jail, and I got put in the foster system for the first time. We were placed together at first, and then, you know, foster homes, if something bad happens with one, sometimes you can't always take all of them. We got separated once and then we all got in trouble together so we could move in and <laughs> be together again. The first time I got taken into foster care, I, it was about five or six foster homes. And this time I've been in two, so. about seven, eight. My parents, it's not that they didn't care about us, but they didn't know how to give us what we needed at the time, and it's, we just didn't have what we needed. (laughs) So when you get taken into a home and you're given all this, all the clothes that you've never had and all the food that you didn't get to eat, and you don't have to wake your siblings up for school, or like, it's just early. But at the same time, it's new people, new family, new rules. You you just, you don't know what to expect. I wish the world knew that foster kids aren't perfect. Like, they're not the perfect child that everyone thinks that they should be because they're troubled. I mean, they've had hard lives and you can't treat them like they haven't. You can't treat them like your own kids that have grown up in your home. If you're considering foster parenting, don't expect your foster child to be perfect. I think that some of my foster homes—not all, but some—they've made me realize that there's a lot more to life than what I had from my that what my biological family gave me. So, I mean. My biological family, they, it's not that they expected me to fail or anything, but they didn't have the life that they wanted and they didn't want me to have the life that they didn't have. So I think that since I'm in foster care, it's helped me give a lot more thought about college and it's just helped me build a support system that I never had and I mean with sports and school and teachers and friends like I just have this whole big support system from mostly from foster care because I have a lot of adults that I can trust so it's given me trust it's given me hope it's just sacred.
3: All right. Well, I didn't plan on crying this morning, so thanks for the videos and making me, making me tear up. But uh, so yeah, just um, oh, let me catch my breath a minute. Oh. So i had I had a lot of misconceptions about foster care. Um, you know, some of our friends had uh, been foster parents and uh, actually adopted some kids, and so we, you know, we thought, man, they're so noble and they're so great, and. Uh, it's awesome that they're able to do that but then you know we just our hearts kept getting tugged on and saying you know we should really do something we have room in our house we have uh, we have the ability to take care of some people and to help Um, and you know there's a lot of a lot of stereotypes and a lot of uh, probably a lot of misconceptions you all might have about what foster what foster parenting is like Um, you know I thought that every kid that's in foster care just has been abandoned their families care nothing about them, you know, they're, they have to be troubled kids that are troublemakers that just, you know, always getting into trouble for, and, and want to be in trouble and just, you know, just uh, not, not good kids or good people. Um, but once we actually took the step and we, um, we took the step and said, yes, send us, send us some uh, kids our way. We realize that it's not the case with every kid. I'm sure there's some kids that, um, like you, like I said, they just their parents just walk away and say, I, "I can't do this." Or, but there's also families and kids that have a support system. Their parents love them and they care about them, uh, but they just need a couple couple helping hands and maybe some some time uh, to get through some things, to to get over some mistakes that they've made. And uh, you know, again, there's so many stereotypes that go along with it, but there's a lot of those are false, um, and you know, um, I'm going have to have to shake. I'm getting choked up here, but y'all, um, they just need help temporarily. Um, but one thing they all have in common, uh, one thing that all people have in common is that they're all children of God. We're all created in God's image, and we all need a helping hand every now and then. So, And foster care is hard. It's hard on both sides. It's hard from the, the family that is going through and having to have their kids taken away or temporarily placed. Uh, it's hard on the families who are accepting them in. And, it, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but the main reason that it's so hard is because we're all humans and we're all selfish. Um, we want our way. We want to, We want things to be easy and we want things to be comfortable. And, but, you know, life's not always easy. And uh, But the good thing about it is, there's always hope. Um, we can always help each other. It's difficult to live in the same house with anybody, right? Even if you're a biological family, your kids, you love your kids, you love your spouse, but every now and then it's, it's hard, right? Uh, people do things that get on your nerves and you take it out on them because again, you're selfish. Uh, we're, not, we're all human and we're not uh, comfortable with things that get on our nerves like maybe squeezing the toothpaste wrong, if you know what I mean. It's been like 20 years since I met Brandy, and I still cannot stand the way she squeezes toothpaste. But, <clears throat> but if that's the only thing we got to worry about, we're doing good. So, um, so the main thing about if you're, on the, uh, if you're on the serving side of foster care, that it really is serving. Um, and there's so many ways in life that we can serve each other, we can serve our neighbors. And really, that's, that's really what foster care is. It's, uh, it's serving. Um, And so that brings me to the first point I have here on the slides is serving requires humility You know, we have to be humble. We have to realize that it's not all about me. It's not all about my family It's not all about my comfort Um, all the all the Worldly possessions I have are not mine. Really Uh, if they get broken uh, Somebody destroys it whatever. It's it's no big deal Uh, requires that we be humble and there's a passage of scripture that really changed my life and helped me to help me to see that that it's not all about me, it's not all about uh, my comfort. And uh, so I wanted to read that to you. It's Romans chapter 12 and verses one through four. And I've got a ton of scriptures to read this morning. So uh, I know sometimes it gets a little monotonous when somebody's just standing here reading to you. But the word God's word is more important than my words. So I feel like I'll share those with you as much as I can. So Romans 12 one through four. It says, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. The one one phrase in that whole passage that really kind of stands out um, is don't think you're better than you really are. And I think that boils down what how I felt about foster care before I realized what it was all about is I thought I was more important than what I really was. Uh, You know, don't think that you're better than anybody else. You know, like I said, we're all God's children. Um, and sometimes we just we stumble and we need help, so that's something I learned through this whole thing is that i'm not i'm not better than anybody i'm I'm worse than i really uh than I really think I am, and I had to be honest and be humble um you know humbly serving people's heart again because we're all we're all selfish and it requires sacrifice we have to be willing to put it to get uncomfortable and give up some things right give up some time free time that we might have had or um just you know, you, you get what I'm saying. There's, there's sacrifices that have to be made. We have to do hard things. Um, and Jesus was the supreme example of that. He taught and commanded many times that we sacrifice ourselves, that we put ourselves aside and that we follow him and that we serve others. So that's the second point is that, uh, serving requires sacrifice. You know, if we're going to, no matter what kind of serving we're doing, it requires some sacrifice. If we're, uh, giving money to an organization, that requires some sacrifice. If we're helping out at the community meal, that requires that we sacrifice some of our time. We sacrifice some of the time we might be able to just go home and rest. Uh, If we're serving whatever it is, we have to give up something. Uh, In almost every case of serving, we have to give up something. It requires that we make sacrifices. And when we love people, when we love someone or love something, we're willing to sacrifice for it. Um, so that's, that's a driving factor in my life and in our family's life is that we love Jesus. We love each other. So we're willing to sacrifice some things uh, so that other people can see the love that Jesus has for them as well. Um, another verse, another passage of scripture here. I told you I'm gonna read a bunch. So this is from Philippians chapter two verses six through eight. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And obviously this is about, uh, this is about Jesus. You know, he had, to, he had to give up the most supreme position of all, right? He was equal with God, um, but he was willing to become a human. Uh, not just any human, but a slave, uh, a servant. He sacrificed everything for you and me. And he, you know, again, he's the supreme example of sacrifice. He came and he lived. Not only did he come as a human and a slave, but he went to the cross and died for us. So that's that's the supreme example. Another passage of scripture I'll share is Luke chapter 9 and verses 22 to 24. It says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He said, he will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Hallelujah! That's uh, a—he <laughs> was raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, "If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it." So again, it's just re—you uh, know—reiterating the fact that we have to give up some things. Jesus tells us you have to sacrifice yourself. Get rid, of, get rid of the stuff. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, you know, if I had my way, I would probably uh, sit on the couch all day and watch, watch documentaries or maybe I might go fishing or, uh, you know, if I had my way, that's what I would do. I'd just enjoy myself and not worry about anything else. But, there's other people in my house, there's other people in my family that I love, and I know that I have, to, I have to give up some of those things at times and get uncomfortable. I have to give up my way to serve. Um, you know, my wife, uh, she's kind of a neat freak, I guess you'd say. Um, it happened this morning, it happened last night and it happened this morning, the example I'm about to give you. Uh, she gets so stressed out if there's any kind of clutter, right, if there's one thing out of place, you hear, God, this house is stressing me out. And it's like, there's like one pair of shoes not in the rack. What's the problem? Yeah, But it happened, it happened last night and this morning. So, um, you know, I have to give up my comfort of sitting on the couch, watching TV or whatever it might be at times to help. And sometimes it's hard because I'm selfish, right? I want to sit there and relax. But I know that's not always possible, especially when you have, let's see, five, six. Seven. is it Seven. Seven or eight females, if you include the dogs, in your house, <clears throat> and then also my mother-in-law lives across the street, so <laughs> she's here. She's here too. So, uh, but so I have a hard time, as you can tell. I got to sacrifice, right? Uh, I have to carry my own weight sometimes. I have to give up some stuff and serve, and uh, maybe I have to run some errands or. Keep an eye on the kids while she runs some errands, or if you if you know my wife and our family, I might have to rearrange furniture a couple times a week. <laughs> uh, <coughs> my back still hurts, but uh, <coughs> but Jesus, honestly, seriously, Jesus said we must give up our own way and take up our cross daily. You know that's something that uh, we it's really hard to do. And, you know we think sometimes we think that uh, just coming to church is enough to follow Jesus, right? Uh, But Jesus didn't say you got to get up early on Sunday and put on some nice clothes and go watch some people talk about me and sing about me He said you got to pick up your cross and carry it. You got to follow me Give up some things sacrifice I'm going to go ahead and read some more scripture here again. This is another uh, Good scripture that reinforces what i'm trying to get across to you this morning. This is luke chapter 14 I think we're starting in verse 26. Yeah 26 and going to 33 It says if you want to be my disciple You must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and mother. That's a good one for Mother's Day, isn't it? (laughs) Your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the there's person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up. Everything you own that last phrase there, <laughs> giving up everything you own that 's a tough one in it now i've been talking about giving up my time sitting on the couch that 's nothing right that's that's nothing. Give up everything you own. We have to count the cost of following Jesus. Are we willing to forsake everything and do what Christ commands? You know I think most of us and I say this just about every time I give a message that um if I'm saying it, it's probably because I'm convicted of it too, so this is not, this is directed at you, but it's at me as well. You know, I think most of us want just enough Jesus to make it look like we've got it all together, right? But not enough to make us uncomfortable. You know, we, we start building our tower, we start building our, our building as they were just talking about, and we get about halfway in and we're like, man, this is hard. I don't really want to give up, give this up. Um. And then we realize how much energy, how, much, how many resources it takes to build that, build that building and we just get stalled out and we don't finish. And I, I read this quote this week, uh, it's from John Stott, it kind of, it says it a little bit different way. But it says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers. The ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today. So-called nominal Christianity, in countries which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They've allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable a little bit. (laughs) That phrase, we become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable but not enough to be uncomfortable. Does that describe you at times? It describes me at times. I want people to to think I've got it all together, um, but I don't want to get uncomfortable. I want Jesus, as long as it makes me look good, right? You and I'm going to jump back to the scripture here, where Jesus said, "You wouldn't build this. Try to start building this tower without planning it out and knowing the cost." And then it goes on to talk about if you're going into war, you're going to size up your enemy before you go. Only you know you would have to you'd have to know if you thought you could defeat the enemy, and. You know we we have to do that we have to count the cost we have to size up our enemy and as I started thinking about this going to war this enemy and you know what what does that really mean you know there's spiritual warfare going on you hear that all the time there's there's things that happen that we don't see not in the physical but there's spiritual warfare that's happening the enemy's out there he's trying to do whatever he can to keep as many people away from Jesus as possible and the people that us the people that are believers that are Uh, believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, we have a mission to help fight against that. Um, So that's the the slide I got here is we have a mission. And that mission is to show as many people as possible, to tell as many people as possible about Jesus and who Jesus is and his love for us and what he did for us and how we can become saved through him. Um, I'll read that. The Great Commission is the mission that uh, we have is from Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's that mission we've been given. We've been given a mission to go and make disciples, to share what Jesus has done in this, in, for us on the cross. And he says he'll be there with us. Uh, You know, there's a big difference between wartime and peacetime. Um, I didn't, obviously didn't live during World War II, but I, you know, I like to watch documentaries. I love history. So I read and watch and learn a lot about World War II and what, how things happened. And, you know, during that time, everybody, everybody in America basically focused their efforts on winning the war. Factories were converted from making cars to making weapons or tanks or planes. People left their everyday lives, athletes, people that were doing normal things just left and went off to war. The rest of the country went to work, right? They went and, and helped support the war effort. There's a big difference between wartime and peacetime, right? During war, every resource that's available is given and to, to accomplish the mission, right? To win the war. But during peacetime, it's all about comfort and relaxation, and luxury, doing the things that are fun. And if you compare that, again, wartime is totally different. Everything is given in an effort to to win the war. And I had a video that I was going to share this morning, but we're, you know, with copyright laws and everything, our live stream would probably be taken down, so we're not going to be able to show the video, but I'll kind of explain it to you a little bit. Um, Just an example of how how things that uh, are somewhat normal change during war. Um, there's a ship that was built. It's called the Queen Mary, um, and it was a luxury cruise ship. Basically, uh, it was bigger. Here's a picture of it. It's bigger, faster, nicer, more luxurious than in the Titanic. This huge ship that was built. You know, it was built and uh, it was it was built to hold about three thousand wealthy passengers. Um, you know, they would be as comfortable as possible. It was just this big, luxurious ship. Rooms were. Like these big, big bunk rooms were made to hold two, two passengers, and then the war came along. So it was converted from a cruise ship to basically a troop transport ship. The entire outside of it was painted gray, so it was kind of camouflaged. Uh, the inside was kind of gutted out, stripped out of all the fine, uh, luxurious things that were set up for the, the tenants that were going to be staying there. It was completely transformed. It was built to hold 3,000 people, but then miraculously when they were using it for troops, it could hold 15,000 people. So you get what I'm getting at here. It was made for comfort to begin with, but once it was converted and they said, we're going to use this thing for the war, it held miraculously was able to hold five times the amount of people. Um, It was outfitted with some guns. They put some anti-aircraft guns on the deck, um, just completely transformed it. And it was no longer about accommodating the, the pleasures of the wealthy. It wasn't about the comfort. It was about, let's win this war. And they put as many people as they could on the ship and took it across the ocean you know, to help transport troops around. So I'm kind of bringing this back around to make my point here. What, which, picture, um, which picture better describes Christianity in the context of our lives? Is it the cruise ship that's built uh, for comfort? For luxury to keep us all comfortable and have a good time? Or is it a, a ship that's dedicated to winning the war? That's comfort set aside. The room that used to hold 12 ends up holding like 20 people. Or a room that hold 2 ends up holding 20 people. Because they put bunks that would hold like 8 high of troops. <clears throat> so that's that's my question this morning. Are we, given all of our resources, are we willing to flip upside down our lives, this church, our homes... Whatever we have, all of our resources, are we willing to flip it upside down and transform it like the Queen Mary was to win the war? What if we looked at every foster kid in our community and said, you know what? I'm not going to use my home for my comfort anymore. I'm not going to use my resources just to just to have a good time. I'm going to help this community. I'm going to use my resources, my home, my comfort's going to go out the window, and I'm going to I'm going to invite people into my home. Or, or maybe it's. Uh, Maybe you're not ready to do that yet. Maybe you're at a point where you say, well, I can't really give up my home or whatever it is. I can give you, I can give some money. Maybe I can make a sacrifice that way. I can give some money to help somebody who's in need, or I can give, give some of my time off from work. Um, hopefully all of us have a little bit of time off from work that we could go serve somebody. Um, you know, once a month at the community meal, that's, that's, a, that's very little to ask. If somebody can come and help for an hour to give some food to somebody who's in need. And not only that, but to share the gospel. Uh, I want to be part of a church that's that's willing to flip upside down to convert every resource that we have from being comfortable to winning the war. And it's not easy. Um that's that's another that's the point that's on the slide here. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's not easy to let a stranger into your home not knowing. You know, not knowing what's going to happen. It's not easy to walk into a stranger's home and think that you, you know, I got to live here now. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Jesus went to the cross and he didn't give up. He he knew, he said, it's not easy, but it's worth it. You're worth it. We're all worth it. That troubled kid who's been through more trauma than you can think of, he's worth it. That girl you knew from high school who made some mistakes, She ended up addicted to drugs, maybe had a few kids. Now she can't take care of them. She's worth it. Jesus picked up the cross and he said, You're worth it. Now, I've talked a lot about sacrifice and service, giving up pleasure for hard work and things that are not so comfortable. But now I want to ask you this Is it really a sacrifice? When you think about eternity, is it really a sacrifice? Are all these things that we have, they're not ours anyway, is it really a sacrifice? In light of eternity, in comparison to what we have, trading our temporary worldly comfort for eternal life with Jesus, is it really a sacrifice? Yes, it's hard, but when you think about eternity, in light of con- eternity, the comparison is not, there's no comparison for life with Jesus for eternity and what we have here. A few more scriptures I'll read and then we'll be wrapping up here. So Hebrews 10 verse 32 to 36 says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ, remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule, ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there was better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that is promised. And that just kind of reinforces what I'm saying. It's really not a sacrifice when you think about what you're going to have as a reward on the other side. When we give up our lu- our comfort and luxury here, it's no comparison. Uh, when you think about what's happening, what's going to happen in the future, uh, you knew we know that better things are waiting for us that will last forever. All the things here are just temporary. Last little bit of scripture I'll share is Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> this is verses one to three. Think of all the hostility he endured for, for, from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Again, this just reiterates that point. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Think about what's in the future. Um, he endured the cross because he loves us. He said, it's not easy, but you're worth it. Think about eternity. i got one last little bit here. This is, uh, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're just half-hearted creatures and we're just messing around down here with what we think is luxury and we have no idea what's waiting for us on the other side. So I want to encourage you with that. I've kind of been a little bit, uh, bring you down a little bit, but... I want you to think about what's waiting on the other side. What's waiting on the other side of eternity? Are we willing to give up what we have here for the promise of eternity? The praise team is going to come back up. I'm going to pray. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you didn't say it's too hard, I can't do it, when you picked up the cross and you carried it for us, God. We thank you that even though it wasn't easy, you said we're worth it. God, we pray as we, even as we're sitting here and as we leave here, that we would be willing to give up some comfort, Lord, to to serve others, to share the love that you shared with us, to follow your example of sacrifice, Lord, to be willing to become uncomfortable, to transform our lives, to chase after the mission that you've given us, God. Help us to know that there's, comfort that there's joy that's eternal that's waiting on the other side we thank you for Jesus God we thank you that he came that he didn't hold his position as God to the standard and that he came that he lived a life as a slave as a servant God that he died on the cross for us we love you Lord we thank you it's in Jesus name we pray